What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton, and I am your host. I hope you're having an awesome day. I've got a two-parter for you today. So I'll have this part today, and then next week there will be a podcast with my father covering the same subject. And today I want to talk about having a personal vision for your life and what my personal vision is specifically. Like, what kind of man do I want to be? A few, uh, man, a couple months ago, me and my dad sat down and we recorded an episode on the why you should have a vision for your life. And then we had a baby and everything got pushed back. And so I've been sitting on that podcast for a while and I thought, you know, I'm going to dive in since this is the man I want to be podcast. I'm going to talk about the type of man I want to be. And then we will sit down with my pops and we'll get his wisdom on the man I want to be his vision, and then why it's important to have a vision, and then what I call a personal constitution. So it's a vision for who you want to be, a personal constitution for how you're going to become that, your values, what you believe, which we've talked about, you need to know what you believe, your rules for life, things like that. And we sit down and we talk about kind of the philosophy of why you need both of those things. We pull a verse from Proverbs. So it's, I think it's really interesting. Dad had a lot of wisdom to offer on that subject. And if you listen to the podcast with dad that we did last time, you know, pops has a lot to say. You can call him pops. I call him pops. I started calling him pops in high school and it just sort of stuck. So there'll be a little bit of overlap, but we're going to talk about me first. What kind of man do I want to be? And it is my hope that maybe you find some inspiration, some motivation, uh, to when you as you start to be thinking about what kind of man you want to be, I think the first step is to come up with a vision for the man you want to be. And uh, so we're going to talk about that today. So I carry this little manila folder in my backpack everywhere I go. It's a manila folder and in it has my vision for the man I want to be and it has my little personal constitution. That's what I call it. You can laugh at me if you want. You're like, you're weird. i that's fine. I am. But, you know, it helps me. I review it often and I take it everywhere I go because it's the man I want to be. And I, I want to be able to look at it frequently so I can be re- remind myself of the type of man I'm trying to be on a day-to-day basis, month to month, week to week, that kind of thing. And I began crafting this personal constitution, this vision for the man I wanted to be about six years ago, almost six and a half years ago. I was 23 years old. I had just moved into my parents' basement. I lived in Texas for a little bit while I was in college. And then I moved into my parents' basement after dropping out of school. I was working at a an olive garden. I had just gotten plugged in with a local church. I had just re-enrolled in school. So there was a lot of life that had just changed really rapidly. But I still felt directionless. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't have a girlfriend. and I, So I'm in the garage one day and just telling my woes to my dad, just, you know, feeling sorry for myself like you do. And my dad, he's a great listener. Pops is a great listener. And he sat there in the garage. I'm pretty sure this was in the garage because that's where all of our, our big conversations happen. It's his favorite place. It's where he does his woodworking projects. And he was sitting there arms crossed, looking at the ground, taking everything in and discerning all that I was saying. And I finish and he looks up at me and he goes, son, what kind of man do you want to be? 
which is where I got the name for this podcast. And I, I responded like, uh, I don't know. Kind of like a teenager. You know how a teenager, if you've been around teenagers or you have teenagers, they say, they when they say, I don't know, they literally mean, I don't know, but also, I don't really want to figure it out right now. I, that's how I said, like, I don't know. And he looked at me and he's like, now would be a great time to figure out what kind of man you want to be. And I didn't really have anything to say. So I went down to my room in the basement and I pulled out my journal and I wrote that question. What kind of man do you want to be? And I didn't have an answer. So I just left it there and I've figured I'm just going to, I'm just going to ponder this question for a while and maybe I'll have an answer someday. Maybe I won't. So a few days later, uh, I'm reading my Bible. Now, I was still at that time. I was still new to the Bible. I had just become a believer in Jesus. I had just gotten plugged into a church. And, you know, so I'm, I'm reading my Bible, not really sure where to start. And all I know is I, I flipped to David. Now, if you're not a Bible reader or you are a Bible reader, you know, whichever one, you kind of know that, like, young men, when they start to read the Bible, they don't usually start in the middle. They hear about David, and they're like, I'm going to read about David. That's, that's like, that's where it's kind of like a joke in the Christian world. Like Christians start that not by reading about Jesus, Christian men, excuse me, don't start by reading about Jesus. They start reading about David. And if you're not a Bible person, I would encourage you to read first and second Samuel in the Bible to learn specifically about David, because he's a man that like everyone could emulate and learn from. He was like a man's man. And so anyway, I'm, I'm reading and excuse me while I flip my notes, I'm reading in first Samuel and this verse just stood out to me. And I was like, boom, this, this is the type of man I want to be. So I pulled out my journal and I wrote, this is the type of man I want to be. And I wrote down that verse and I was like, that is it. And here's what the verse was. This is at the beginning of when we start to learn about David and it's first Samuel 16. It says, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse who is skillful in playing a man of valor a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And I read that and I was like, whoa, yes, yes, that is the type of man I want to be. I want to be a man of war. I want to be a man of valor. I want to be a man of good presence. I want to be good at what I do. I read that and I was like, this is the type of man I want to be. I just didn't really know where to start. So I wrote it down. And then for the last six and a half years, I have been learning, researching, and putting into practice things that would help me become that type of man. Now, this verse, it's, I think a little background on this verse helps. Um, David, this is at the beginning of when we hear about David. This is the second description that we hear about David. The first one is he's a scrawny little boy. And then this is the second one. But this one was, this description of David was written after he had passed away. So people are writing down memories of David and the story of David, not as he's living, but in, in his past. So this description you get about David is what I would call his gravestone legacy. It's how he was remembered. And so before we talk about like making a vision, I think there are some two things. There's two questions that all men need to answer. And I think these two questions help you figure out what is called your gravestone legacy. Gravestone legacy might sound kind of morbid, but here's the truth. One day, we're going to die. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but it is a fact of life that we are going to die. And I'm at that age still where I'm like, no, I'm, I'm probably not. I've got goals and dreams and nothing can happen to me. But 
it could, it's going to happen eventually. And gravestone legacy is how do you want to be remembered after you're gone? So two questions. I think that all men, when they're thinking about the vision for the man they want to be, they need to have these two questions in mind because the answer to these two questions will dictate what you give your life to. Question number one is how do you want to be described at your funeral? So when someone stands up to give your eulogy or someone stands up for public comment, how do you want to be described? How do you, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? You know, for me, I'm like, I want someone to say I'm a man of valor, uh, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, a man of war. He went to battle for the ones he loves. And then the second question beyond your funeral is how do you want to be remembered? The people who were at your funeral, how do you want to be remembered? So a great example of this is my grandfather. I didn't know my grandfather super well because he lived in Kansas. We lived in Colorado. And so I just didn't get to know him. But I am fond of my grandfather. His name is Daryl. And he lived, grew up in a small town in Kansas. He lived there his whole life. And when you go to this little town in Kansas, all I have to say anywhere I go is, I'm part of the Murphy family. And people instantly know that who my grandfather is. He had such an impact on this town. One, he was there for a really long time. There's something about being planted. But people remembered my grandfather very, very fondly. And I was like, man, that is a gravestone legacy. He's been, he passed several years ago. And people still talk about and remember my grandfather. So those are the two questions. When you're thinking about what kind of man do I want to be, we want to think about our gravestone legacy. What do we want people to say about us at our funeral? And how do we want to be remembered? Because those things will dictate what you give your life to. If you want people to say at your funeral, he worked really, really hard, he was very successful, then all of your efforts will go into your work. If you want people to say he was a really good father, then most of your efforts will go into your children. So these things, you want to think about what what you want your gravestone legacy is and then figure out the vision for the man you want to be because those two go hand in hand. And so let's go through that verse. Um, let's go through that verse one little piece at a time. And I hope this resonates. This is like, this is my vision for the man I want to be. You do not have to adopt it. I think it's good to find great men of history, people who have been written about, who have been remembered. Uh, maybe it's somebody that you're close to who, like an older man that you're like, man, I really want to be like, you know, whoever. I think it's good to learn from other men how to be a good man. And so I've got a couple in my life that I look to a lot. You know, they're older. They're going to be like written about. We've talked about them. Theodore Roosevelt, Dallas Willard, Jesus, David, these kinds of people. Those are like men I want to emulate. And so I study them. But primarily my the vision for the man I want to be comes from this verse in the Bible talking about David. And so let's go through this one thing at a time. So the first one is, it says, David was skillful in playing. And so a little bit more background on that verse. David has been anointed king, but he's not king yet. And there's a current king, his name is Saul. And one day Saul says, I need a harp player. And one of his servants speaks up and says this verse, Behold, I know a son of Jesse who is skillful in playing. And he lists off all those character traits about David. And so Saul, because when you're king, you get to make weird requests. I need a harp player. The credentials for David becoming a harp player was he was a man of war, a man of valor, a man of good presence. The Lord was with him, and he was skillful in playing. And David, you know, he was young. 
He probably hadn't developed that reputation quite yet, like we had talked about. This was his gravestone legacy. But this was the qualifications to get him into the place of a king. David, before he was king, was a lowly harp player for a king. Now, that could be a whole episode. But, you know, he was he was supposed to be king. He wasn't yet. He's playing the harp for the current king. That is a wild, kind of a wild story. But skillful in playing is part of my vision is because I want to be good at whatever I do. I want to work on my craft. I want to become excellent. I have this little reminder on my phone. It goes off every Thursday at 5 p.m. And it says, excellence matters. Weekly, I want to be reminded that excellence matters. And so in order to be excellent, I think about what I want my life to look like. And then I practice and I train for those things. So for example, in work, I do a lot of writing and a lot of public speaking. Um, I don't do, you know, I've told you I work at a church. I don't do sermons, but I do the welcome. And occasionally I will do classes. So I'm not speaking for more than five minutes, typically, maybe 15. But those little parts matter. So I practice. I do everything I can to get better at public speaking so that when the time comes, I am ready. Remember, David was a harp player for a king, not that big of a role. He wasn't playing harp at concerts. He wasn't in front of large audiences. He had a small audience, a small role, but it still said that he was skillful in playing. So I want to be excellent at what I do. That also includes in my home. I want to be an excellent husband. I want to be an excellent father. I want to look after my family really, really well. So I put things into place to help myself become excellent. When I got married, I didn't automatically become a good husband. And anybody who's been married longer than three months knows that you're not automatically a good husband. In that three-month period, you kind of feel like you're you're killing it. But <laughs> you just wait long enough and you'll realize, oh, I'm, I, I got to get better at this. I'm not, I'm not great. Um, so I do a lot of things to make sure I am excelling as a husband. That means choosing my wife's interest often over mine. It means like I want to be a good father so that my little girl, she's only 12 weeks old, almost three months. So I make sure I still spend an hour a day with her, just me and her. You know, there's not a lot to do except for make faces and funny noises to get her to laugh or give her a bottle. But what I am doing is practicing for when she's older, spending time and being present with her. And remember, we talked on this podcast a while ago, presence is the best thing. Those are things I'm doing to become excellent. I want to be excellent in work. I want to be excellent at home. I want to be skillful at what I do. And so I spend a lot of time training practicing and getting better at the things I put my hand to. That's uh, number one. All right, moving right along. This is probably my favorite one. I want to be a man of valor. So a man, valor means great courage in the face of danger. And I, I want to be a man, oh, excuse me, bump my mic. I want to be a man of great courage. Man, there are plenty, uh, there's plenty of evil and dangerous things in the world. I don't want to be somebody who cowers and runs away. I want to be a man of courage. I want to speak up when it's time to speak up. I want to hold fast when it's time to hold fast. I want to be a man of valor, unafraid of anything. So I think of, so there's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor and theologian in Germany in the 1930s and into 1945. Um, And he foresaw, he could tell that 
Hitler was not a good person. And he spent the entire 1930s speaking out against Hitler. And this is when Hitler was really, really popular. He was speaking out against him and he got ostracized from his church. He had to start a new church order. Like he wasn't very popular, but he, man, he was a man of valor. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt was a man of valor. David was a man of valor. The Hebrew phrase in that verse is Gibor Shail, which remember that one, Gibor Shail, which means it means strength, it means ability, it means virtue, and then it means able. Uh, in other words, in an American context, if it were to like read it out today, it might say David had a backbone. I want to be a man with a backbone. I want to be a man with a backbone. I want to be a man of valor. I want to be a man of great courage, and I'm I'm going to pursue that as best I can every day. And I'm, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth, even if it's not popular. Um, I'm not looking to pick a fight, and I'm not looking to be mean. I'm looking to tell the truth. Tell the truth at home. Tell the truth in my work. When people ask my thoughts on different things, I'm going to tell the truth, even if it's not popular. And that's what it takes to be a man of valor. That's, I think that's actually where we can start. We can start by telling the truth. All right, the next. So I'm just going in order of the way it came up in the verse. Man of war. Now, I don't think I'll ever actually be in, an, in a war, uh, like with guns and stuff. I don't think I'll, that'll ever happen. If there was something on our homeland, I would probably be. I would probably sign up um, if it was required of me. But I, I don't see that happening. Um, I'm, I hope it doesn't happen, but I, I'd be willing to. So I may not ever see an actual battlefield with guns and people are shooting. But there are plenty of other battles in day to day life that it where it takes to be a man of war to fight those battles. And it, you you could probably think of a few yourself. Stuff at work, stuff at home, stuff with friendships. Like maybe somebody's getting uh, beat up by life and your friend. Like men of war go to battle for the ones they love. Um, there is plenty of opportunity to be a man of war without going to the battlefield. And I wrote this down under the description. I had to get a little bit more specific with this one. Um, I want to be courageous, so a man of valor. I want to go to the battle for the ones I love, so my family specifically. I want to protect those that have been entrusted to me. I want to fight the good fight of the faith. I believe that a man of war is prepared for war. He thinks ahead. He strategizes. He has backup plans. He has provisions. He knows who fights with him, who is fighting, who he's fighting for, and who he's fighting against. So, one, don't go to battle alone in, in life. Have a band of brothers. Get people around you to support you. Um, man, a man of war is ready and able to protect what has been entrusted to him. Look, most soldiers actually never see a battlefield, but they still go through basic training. They still practice with their rifles and their guns. They still practice their martial arts. They have plans and are prepared in case something comes up. And that's what I think being a man of war is. You are prepared for whatever could come. There are plenty of times, um, like, in, in my marriage, there have been plenty of times when lies have creeped into my wife's mind, and I'm ready to go to war with those by telling the truth. There have been plenty of times when lies have creeped into my head, and I'm, I'm, I go to war against those. I take those thoughts captive, and I go to war against those. This one might seem less applicable to your life, and I feel like I'm grandiizing it, but I do think a man of war is someone who is prepared and ready to go to battle when battle would call. Um, 
yeah, this is, so it is, it's a little bit harder to apply. I, I realize that. Um, but it's good to be, it's good to be prepared for when battles come. Battles are going to come. You can just think through your life and you know, Hey, that was a battle. I had to make it through, um, quitting and, uh, stopping an addiction. That's a battle. Uh, protecting your family. That's a battle. Making sure work is done well and that people don't try to come in and, and take your business, whatever. Those are battles. Fight them well. Be prepared. Uh, next one. And this is probably of all of them. I think this might be the most important one for a day-to-day life. It's prudent in speech. I want to be a man who's prudent in speech. And I think that's probably one we could all apply immediately. Here's what I have written down about being prudent in speech. Give thought to your words. Your words matter. Don't just speak from your gut all of the time and react. Your words matter. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Make sure that your words are gracious, truthful, and then precise. Be watchful of your temperament because how you say things matters. And remember that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So the Bible has a lot to say about the power of the tongue. They talk about it a lot. It's all over. It's in the book of Proverbs. It's in James. Jesus talks about it a lot. What you say matters. And so I, I've pulled up a bunch of verses about what the Bible says about the tongue because I think it's good to know the wisdom and the warning about what your tongue can do. Uh, you remember that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Yeah, that that's crap. That's not, that's not true. And we all know, we all have a probably a comment that's stuck into our mind like super glue from some something someone said even in sixth grade, high school, or whatever. So here's some verses. If you want to have a good life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So if you want to have a good life, don't say evil things and don't lie. Uh, the prudent person holds their tongue. This is funny. Much talking leads to much evil. You ever noticed the more you talk, the more you kind of can get in trouble? Um, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Whoever keeps his mouth and keeps his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Out of trouble. Excuse me. Uh, Perverseness in the tongue breaks the spirit. It is the words of someone's mouth that defile him, for what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Ooh, this is a good one. This is a teaching of Jesus. You can tell exactly what's in a person's heart by the things they say. That is Jesus' teaching. If someone tells lies, they are a deceiver in their heart. If they are tell, if they gossip and they slander, they are a slanderer at heart. That's who they are. That is a teaching of Jesus. What You can tell who someone is by the words they say. Uh, the words of the reckless pierce the body like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So your words penetrate into the depths of somebody. My words penetrate into the depths of somebody. That's why I'm careful about what I say. There's a lot of times when people are talking and I'm just sitting there quietly because I'm trying to make, I want to think through what I'm going to say instead of just reacting. Now, there's also times like this morning where I just react and um, it's not good and I have to apologize. Um And so I'm doing my best. Remember, this is the man I want to be, not the man I am, the man I want to be. I am trying to become prudent in speech. You can dishonor somebody with your tongue if they're not around, or you can honor them. Um, You can build somebody up with your words. Um, I I tell people at our church a lot of time that a lot of words, they're not necessarily evil, but they're kind of like bread. They taste good. 
but there's nothing to them. They don't build up. They don't tear down. Uh, fantasy football is like my example. I, I love talking about fantasy football, but there's really nothing to it. It doesn't build up or tear down. Some words are like bread. I think those are fine. It's way better to do that than talk, speak evil. But I want my words to be prudent in speech, and I want them to build people up. That's kind. That's what I'm striving for as I become a man. I want my words to matter. And I think that is something that we should all really, really consider. All right. We have two more here. Thank you for listening to me talk about the man I want to be. And then we have my one word. Um, all right. A man of good presence. I want to be a man of good presence. I want to be a guy who walks into the room and people are glad he's there. I want people to feel safe. I want people to feel like they can tell me whatever they want to tell me without judgment or prejudice. I want people to be able to laugh in my presence. I want people to be able to make fun of me. I want um, people to, like when I'm around, I want people to be glad I'm there. We have all probably, I'm going to assume, been in a place where someone walks in the door and you're kind of like, ugh, the, the air just got sucked out of this place and there's tension. I don't want to be that kind of man. I want to be uh, a man of good presence. There's actually two guys at my work that are like this. One of them, um, wisest man I've ever met. Probably the best man other than my father that I've ever met and encountered. And he's been out for some medical stuff. And everyone on our staff can feel that he's not there. There's something about this man. When he walks into a room, no matter what's going on, you're like, okay, everything's going to be okay. And then there's this other guy on our staff who I adore. I'm going to keep him nameless. Um, he's just fun. When he walks in the, into the room or into work, you know that today is going to be a fun day. You're still going to get a lot done, but it's going to have lots of humor, lots of laughs, um, good music choices because he loves music. And he's just a guy that like you want to have around. And when he's not there, you're like, no, oh, today's going to be a little too serious. I want to be like those guys. I want to be a guy who is a man of good presence. And then the last one. This it was said about David. It says the Lord was with him. And I've said this on almost every podcast. I really believe in order to be a good, valiant, strong, valiant, excuse me, strong, principled man, you need God. I believe that with all that I am. I believe that you need strength that you don't have, and God has strength that is beyond you. I think you need wisdom beyond yourself, and God has that in his word. And then I also I believe that God speaks and directs human beings for those who want to seek him. I do believe God can be known. I believe if you want to be a good man, you need God. And as far as I can tell, all of the great men of history, they may not necessarily have been Christian, they may have been some other religion, but all of them believed that there was a God that could direct their steps. And I think, I just, I believe that's necessary. And I'm going to leave that at that. You need God in all that you do and all that you endeavor. All right. Last thing, this is my one word. So I wanted to find a word that would encompass that whole verse. Like if I could be if I could be described as one word, what would that one word be? And I chose the word steadfast. Excuse me. Uh, specifically the Greek word hypnome. Hypnome. Um, you should do a word study on the word on the word hypnome. It is awesome. Here's what it means. It means um, where's my definition? Oh, it's Greek for steadfast. It's a courageous endurance that defines that defies evil. Far from being passive, this quality involves an active resistance to hostile powers. 
It describes a wounded soldier who endures the pain of ke- and keeps fighting the enemy. It describes the ability of a plant to live under harsh conditions. It describes a man who loves honor more than anything else and stands firm in the face of those who would persuade him to act dishonestly. This is my favorite phrase. It's a conquering constancy. Come on. A steadfastness in the face of pressure to give in. It does not guarantee victory, but this steadfastness is honorable. We talked about in the war section that life has many battles, many trials. The storms of life come, and I want to be steadfast. I want to be like, I I tell guys I talk to all the time, I want to be a rock. I want to be able to take a beating. I want people to be able to stand upon me with a firm foundation if they need. I want to be able to weather the storms without changing form or substance. I want to be a rock. I want to be steadfast. There is real evil in the world of many forms, and all it needs to advance are people who run and cower, specifically men, who run and cower, who don't have a backbone, who do not, who are not courageous, and who cannot stand trials for longer than a minute. I want to be steadfast. I think the world needs steadfast men, men of character, who know what they believe and can stand their ground for the good of others and for the good of their family. There's this, the Bible, you know, of course, talks about hippanome. Jesus is the first one in the New Testament to use this word hippanome. And he says that by your hippanome, you will gain your life. He's talking right in that passage about trials that are guaranteed to come. And he's calling people to endurance. And he says, by your hippanome, you will gain your life. There is no life to be found in running and hiding and cowering. None. And then Paul, in the letter to the Romans, in chapter 5, he says, Hippanome, endurance or steadfastness, produces character. If you want to gain your life, you must be steadfast. And if you want character that is honorable, you need to be steadfast, which means trials. That's the only place to be steadfast. You have to be steadfast in trial. If you're not steadfast in trial, you're not steadfast. And that's what produces character. I gave a sermon for the young adults that at our church um, a couple years ago. And I talked, we were talking, it was called The Man I Want to Be. And I gave them three things that they needed in order to become men just like David. I said they needed to know what they believe. They need to be disciplined in pursuing those beliefs. And then they also need to, I said, embrace the desert. You need to embrace the storms. You need to embrace the storms of life and stand upon the foundation that you've that you have built if you want to be a man of character. Uh, it's it's vital. You cannot run from trials and be steadfast. Men who avoid trials are not steadfast, and therefore they don't have character. Part of the reason we find ourselves in the place we do culturally, which I think we can all feel. I actually just got a podcast notification from one of my favorite podcasts to listen to that said, a culture without good men dies. And I'm like, oh, speaking my language, I want to listen to that podcast. I cannot wait to listen to that podcast. But you can tell our culture has been a culture of pursuit of comfort rather than steadfastness and trial. This is why when things are happening in our politics or in our schools or in, in our churches or wherever they're happening, it's easier to flip on the on football instead of figuring out how you can participate to make good come and evil stay far away. Um, I do think there's a change of the tide, but we, I do believe that men specifically have been pursuing comfort to such a degree that they are unable to stand the trials that come in everyday life. I don't want to be like that. 
I don't think anyone actually wants to be that. I think men in their heart of hearts want to be men of war and men of valor, men of great courage who have a backbone and who stand up for what is right and fight battles for their family. I really believe that's the type of men that, or that's in the heart of all men. You know, maybe I'm hyperbolizing, but I, I don't think I am. I think that's in there. So like when you're, let's go practical example. When your marriage is on the rocks and there'll be times when it is, you, you hold fast until you and your wife figure it out. That might mean you have to hold fast and be humble. It might mean you have to hold fast and, and be bold. But what it does mean is you don't give up. You do not quit. You don't throw on the towel. You hold fast because you made a covenant to this woman for the rest of your life. It means when your kids are rebelling or they're just going through some stuff. And like our, the children of today are just going through some stuff. You hold fast. You do your duty as a father and you stand in there with your children. They may not like you, but you stand there protecting them because that's your job. That's your job to be a good father. It, you have to protect them and fight battles with them, maybe for them, and you have to be a rock and a safe place for them. But you can't just send them to the room and turn on the television or scroll through whatever. You got to be present. You got to be steadfast. That's what men do. So, that's the man I want to be. I want to be a man of valor. I want to be a man of war. I want to be a man of good presence. I want to be skillful in his craft. I want the Lord to be with me, and I want to be steadfast in all circumstances. That's what I want my gravestone legacy to be. When at my funeral, I want whoever gives my eulogy and whoever stands up for comment to say that he, I was a man of valor, a man of great courage, that he fought for those he loved, that he was a, just a good person to be around, that he was steadfast in all circumstances. That's how I want to be described. And so I'm putting into place actions that help me get to become that type of man. I want to, but I do want you to notice what's not in there. There's nothing about success. I think I want to be successful. I just don't want it to be my gravestone legacy. I want to work hard and I want to be successful. Remember, I want to be excellent. I don't want to be successful, but it's not going to be part of my gravestone legacy. There's nothing in there about measurable impact. And we'll actually doing an episode soon about this why it's so much easier for men to give their life to their work instead of to their family and their community. Um, while you should give your life to your work, but it's out of order. It's, a, it's, a, it's out of order. Uh, we're going to do an episode on that because um, there's no glory at home. But there's no measurable, yeah, there's no glory. There's no measurable impact. Um, but it's how you become a good man. You can't put it on a PowerPoint and, be, and show your board of directors. There's nothing in there about wealth. I think generating wealth for generations is important and good. There's a uh, proverb in the Bible that says a wise man leaves an inheritance for his, for his children's children. So a wise man leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren. I think that's good. But there's nothing on there that, like, I don't care. I don't want that part of my gravestone legacy. But this is all about character. It's all about who I want to be for the people around me, and I'm pursuing it every single day. And I think all of us, all of us men, if we want to be good, moral, valiant men with, who are courageous, strong, who love our families well, we need a vision that helps direct that goal. And then we need to know what we believe. We need to have our rules for life. We need to have practices we put in place and goals that we set 
so that year to year we are actually becoming the man we want to be, which is what me and my dad are going to talk about in our next podcast. I hope that this blessed you. I hope you didn't mind listening to me rant and talk about the type of man that I want to be, but I hope you do um, find inspiration for becoming a good man and that you start to create a vision for your life. Thank you for listening. If you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. Uh, It really helps get the word out. Leave a comment if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, just pretend it doesn't exist. Um, And we will see you next time. This is the Man I Want to Be podcast.